The most fundamental of American questions is hard for me to answer these days, and luckily so. If it weren't, you wouldn't be holding this book in your hands. So what do you do? Assuming you can find me, hard to do, and depending on when you ask me, I'd prefer you didn't, I could be racing motorcycles in Europe, scuba diving off a private island in Panama, resting under a palm tree between kickboxing sessions in Thailand, or dancing tango tango in Buenos Aires. The beauty is, I'm not a multimillionaire, nor do I particularly care to be. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Kraszowski, and welcome to episode 27 of That Remote Show, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, my good friend Mitch Lore returns to discuss a book that is near and dear to both of us, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Since starting this podcast, The 4-Hour Workweek has quickly become the most mentioned and cited resource, and there's a good reason for that. It essentially created or at least brought to the mainstream the digital nomad and location independent movements. The issue is that while it's so important, it hasn't been updated since 2009, and in 10 years, many things have changed. What Mitch and I set out to do in this episode is to evaluate what has aged well in this book and what hasn't. Essentially, if we had to rewrite the 4-Hour Week for 2019, this podcast is what it would say. Now, before we jump into the interview, I want to take a slightly personal turn. Uh, This past week was a difficult one for me and my family because my dog and essentially my sibling bars passed away suddenly. It's something that has torn me up over the last few days because I was thousands of miles away instead of there with him when it happened. I'd like to dedicate this episode covering one of my favorite books to my favorite reading buddy bars. It's important to remember that while location independence is oftentimes used as a means to travel, at the end of the day, it's all about allowing you to be where you want to be the most, and sometimes that can mean back home with your loved ones. Thank you so much for listening, and let's dive into this conversation with Mitch Lore. All right, well, Mitch, welcome back to the show, man. How's it going? It's going great, man. I am so excited to be back on here and especially what we're talking about today. Oh, I know. I'm so pumped. And, uh, you know, we'll, uh, you were on here quite a while ago uh, in the, one of the, some of the first episodes of the show. So thanks for uh, taking the time to come back on. But yes, you kind of um, alluded to what we're going to be talking about, which is, I'm going to say one of my favorite books, The 4-Hour Workweek. I don't know about you. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this is because this is the most cited book or resource on this podcast. And I've just noticed that everybody that we talk about, everybody that we talk with, everybody mentions this book as a top resource. Um, The issue with it is that when was the last time that this book was like redone? I think the first one came out in 07 and then he did it, Uh redid it in like 09 or something. I think it was 07. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think it was 07 and then... 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. I think he redid it actually in like 2014, but I can't say for sure. I wish I had this pulled up, but I can't say for sure. I do know he said he did an updated version of it, but it's still outdated because of how yeah. fast everything moves. It's just been such a long – this is such an important resource, and it's been such a long time 
since it came out that I thought it would be cool if we sat down and we did like a what if there's a 2019 version of this book and kind of talk about what has aged well and what hasn't aged well and like how would we go about interpreting the information in this book as we're reading it today. Um, so I'm really excited. That's kind of what we're going to talk about uh, today on this episode. And it's actually really fun for me because I haven't read this book since the first time I read it. So it's been, it's oh, been kind of crazy. Okay. Yeah. So it's been really yeah, fun. That's so, awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. It's been a lot of fun. So for those of you who haven't read this book or who haven't uh, yet, you know, been corrupted by it, uh, I'm just going to read a very quick quote from uh, the beginning of the book because I think it does a really good job of explaining what we're going to talk about. Um, and so here is the quote from Tim Ferriss himself. He says, the most fundamental of American questions is hard for me to answer these days, and luckily so. If it weren't, you wouldn't be holding this book in your hands. So what do you do? Assuming you can find me, hard to do, and depending on when you ask me, I'd prefer you didn't, I could be racing motorcycles in Europe, scuba diving off a private island in Panama, resting under a palm tree between kickboxing sessions in Thailand, or dancing tango tango in Buenos Aires. The beauty is, I'm not a multimillionaire, nor do I particularly care to be. How can I possibly explain that what I do with my time and what I do for money are completely different things? That I work less than four hours per week and make more per month than I used to make in a year. For the first time, I'm going to tell you the real story. It involves a quiet subculture of people called the new rich. So reading that, I kind of like read when I was reading rereading this book and I read it and I was like, oh man, like he, like, I don't know, like what, what does that make you think about? Like just like reading that part. So, um, to preface what I want to tell you guys, what I'm feeling on this is I read this book at least once a year. Um, oh, shoot. I've read, okay. I've, this is like my seventh or eighth time through it, I think. Cause I'll read it. I've read it multiple times a year just because it's kind of like what you said, it's the most cited book, but it's also kind of like my North star as far as like designing my own lifestyle, which we can get into. But, um, to answer your question, it's funny to rehear that quote again. Cause every time I hear it, it's like. I can relate more and more with what he's saying than I did previously because my lifestyle is more in line with what he's talking about. And so I was laughing because it's one of the most, one of the questions he always gets asked that he hates answering is, so what do you do for work? And I have the hardest time answering it. If you go back to the first episode where you and I are on, I'm like, mm -hmm. so I do this thing called like white labeling and it's kind of like this, but it's a little bit like this. And I still have a hard time doing it where it's like, people will run into us and we'll tell them like, Oh yeah, we were just in England for six weeks. And like, what do you do for work? And it's like, uh, adver advertising. That's, that's what I do. The advertising. And that's all, that's all I can say or, or else people were like, wait, how's that work? I think the reason why I wanted to start with that quote is because of just what it like says about this book and how important it is like we've said like every almost every person who's been on the show has said that this is the book to read but then also on top of that it's like the thing that he describes now almost feels like a thing that you've heard before you know and it's mm -hmm. because he said it it's because like he kind of put this idea out there 
Um, and that's what's so exciting about this book is that it is really a very important pillar in what we all do. Um, and the way that the book is broken up and the way that we're going to go about this is that essentially there's like four main chapters, right? That all spell out deal. So the first one is step one is D is for definition. Step two is E for elimination. Step three is A for automation. And then step four is L for liberation. And what we're going to do is essentially go through each step and talk about how it's aged, what we think about it, like how would we change it now in 2019, um, and then move on to that. So that's how this podcast is going to go. So if you're ready, do you want to move into the first step, which is D for definition? Um, yeah. What What do you think, like, can you give us a quick summary of what this kind of like section was all about? So basically this is just like painting yourself a target before you aim for it and shoot. So it's, it's like the, I'm going to butcher this just cause I'm, I'm on camera and I always get nervous and mix my words up, but <laughs> <laughs> it's that no ready aim fire or ready fire aim. It's just mm-hmm. basically painting your target before you're firing at it. And the coolest thing, one of the, one of the, actually the, the quote that if I had to say really just nails this entire section in one sentence is said for all the complaining that people do, they sure are about their current lifestyle. They sure have a hard time defining what they dream of and what lifestyle they'd be, be living if they, they could, or mm-hmm. if they had the resources to, and he's talking about like, would you be riding a motorcycle across China? Would you be like doing like met, like extreme fast learning and learning how to do tango in, in Argentina or would you just sit in your cubicle in the normal routine that you live in and like have a hard time thinking outside of the box of what you could do? And that's usually, that's typically the choice with people who haven't read this. Yeah. I think that this, I think that this is actually one of the sections in the book that's actually aged particularly well because it's almost like, I think what he does a good job of, you know, it kind of, it's, yes, it makes sense that before you do something, you should decide what the goal that you want to reach by doing that thing is. Like, that makes sense. But what he kind of does in this section, I think, is he gives you the permission to actually, like, like state what you want, you know? And he has this, he has this quote in there that he said, um, Having an unusually large goal is an adrenaline infusion that provides the endurance to overcome the inevitable trials and tribulations that go along with any goal. And this is one of those things that has stuck with me from the first time that I read this book. Because it's almost like saying, look, you can be safe and go for like what's almost feels more attainable, but you're going to get bored because that that doesn't give you that like that rush of excitement, you know, to like go after this big audacious goal. And he's almost saying like, it just this entire section to me feels like he wants you like he's kind of like giving you permission like giving you permission yeah. and saying oh, like you totally. can do this you know well and the one of the biggest things that i've taken away from this section is something that we alluded is that same thing that same concept of setting like really massively high goals that seem so unreasonable that you like have to make you have to take unreasonable actions to re, to mm-hmm. get to them and uh, we won't go down this road because I know we'll be on we'll be talking about this here in the future. But in the last episode, I talked about how our goal is to save twenty thousand dollars by traveling the world. And because everything changes as we've traveled and we're like we're nine months into traveling full time, um, that that goal has definitely changed because we have some different priorities that have come up. And we'll get into that later on. But I had to set the goal of twenty thousand dollars to in order to save five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars while we're traveling the world, which is still an amazing feat. But um, 
this it's because of this definition, dude. It's like a habit. It's like you got to go. You have to shoot for the stars, man. Doesn't make sense to do anything else. Well, yeah, one hundred percent. And just so that, like, I've kind of like picked out some quotes here that I think really define these sections and and exactly what you're talking about. And that he kind of again restates is uh, this is the quote is he says the fishing is best where the few as go and the collective insecurity of the world makes it easy for people to hit home runs while everyone else is aiming for base hits there's just less competition for bigger goals so essentially he's saying like look you can either sit at home and like you know figure out like how to pay down you know like 50 bucks a month or whatever and you're saying like no screw that i'm gonna go for the home run i'm gonna pay off twenty thousand dollars in debt by traveling, which is nuts. Like no one else would ever do that, you know, but you're saying like, this is the goal. And like, because it's audacious, because it's crazy and nobody else does it. That's almost why I'm going to do it. Um, so yeah. And, and like you did mention, we're going to do a whole episode on how everything has gone down for you since you left. So if anybody's interested in that, make sure you stay tuned because we're going to do a whole episode just dedicated to that. Um, but overall, do you feel like in this, section d is for definition do you feel like anything hasn't aged particularly well no i think like you you mentioned like this of all the sections or of all the steps like this is probably an ever like what we consider like an evergreen step like Mm -hmm. you you've got to do it everything in there is just it's age-old wisdom and i know he pulls a lot of the the methods and the i guess the structures of what he's doing here from other people um, I know Ralph Potts is a big, is a big influence on, on Tim. And so this honestly, I feel like has come a lot from that. It's like, Hey, just like you got to, you got to like go, you got to shoot for the stars, like you said. And then the, the, the words that are popping out, I'm looking at the table of contents right now, just to kind of guide this. And, um, it says rules that change the rules. Everything popular is wrong. And that's probably the most accurate like version of my life. I feel like because I, I mean, it, it's gotten me fired from jobs or at least let go or asked to asked to leave from jobs because it's like I've gotten into the habit of like constantly challenging the popular opinion in many ways, and it's like, um, yeah, you you it's not a good fit here, man. You gotta go somewhere else. You gotta go somewhere mm-hmm. else. But that's led me to doing what we're doing now, which I wouldn't be doing anything else. So it's pretty sweet, pretty rad. Yeah, I think that this I think that this section overall has just aged really really well and it's a, a very even though it feels very kind of like rah rah like you can do this mm-hmm. it is such a necessary step for this book because everything else that he's about to outline sounds like bullshit. Like everything else that he's about to talk <laughs> totally. about like doesn't sound real unless you kind of get in this mindset of like he's trying to do this audacious thing and it's supposed to sound crazy. Um, so I think that it's a really important part of the book. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. No, I think it's key. Cool. Um, shall we move on to step two, which is E for elimination? Uh, yeah, one, I'm going to close this one thing, dude. I got to like, this is another thing that's standing out is he talks about defining like fear setting and escape paralysis. Dude, you got to mm. set your fears. Like I remember when we took our first leap to say, okay, we're going to go do this house sitting thing across the world and, or at least in Europe and see how long we can go for. And the worst case, we like had to define our worst case scenario of what would happen and the likely, and then it's like when you finally defy it and define it, it's like, oh, actually, that's not that's not that bad. That's we could live if that happened. And eighty percent of the stuff that we defined as our worst case scenario happened, but it still wasn't that bad. So, 
In a, yeah, yeah, that's a really good point, actually, is that he kind of outlines... That is a very important part of this kind of section that we didn't really mention, uh, and I'm glad that you brought it up, where he kind of talks about, look, like, worst-case scenario, if everything, if shit hit the fan and you kind of had to redo everything, like, how long would it take you to do it? And a lot of times, if you think about it logically, it's like, well it wouldn't really be that bad, right? Like you'd find a new apartment, you know, it'll take you like three mm-hmm. months to get the furniture you wanted, et cetera, et cetera. And you kind of realize that like, even though this thing sounds risky in the 10,000 foot view, it's actually not that big of a deal. Like whatever it is that you think about, you know? Yeah, totally. Oh yeah. You said it, said it the best way it could possibly been said there. Yeah. I'm good. to I'm good to move on to elimination. I think we've nailed that one down now. All right, man. So what is step two E is for elimination? How would you summarize that part up for us? Dude, it's like a lifestyle diet. (laughs) Like that's the best way I can think of it. It's we have so much white space in our everyday, like in our day to day, both in our our uh, mental existence, our physical existence and like our our career or professional existences. There's always this stuff that just fills all the white space. And then this basically helps you st- take a step back and now like do an in-depth analysis on it and realize, Oh, like I'm wasting a ton of time here, here and here and here. Um, I really don't need to consume this type of information or, or um, what I am surrounding myself with is not going to give me the ability to reach the goals that I just defined. So that elimination process is just like cut the fat, man. It's like, just get, get all distractions out and hyper-focus on what you're actually going to achieve. Yeah, essentially like what he's saying in this entire section is that like the way that I interpret it is if you're if you've filled your life in the direction that you're going, you've filled your life with things to support you going in that direction. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to switch the direction in which you're going, you need to fill your life with new things. But in order for you to fill your life with new things, you need to remove old things. So essentially he's talking about how to eliminate these things that are like, you know, like stop doing these things that aren't getting you to where you need to go and like get them out to give you the space to then, you know, change that direction. Um, so yeah, he talks about like, you know, um, a low information diet is a big thing that he talks about where he's like, stop watching the news, mm-hmm. stop watching all this like bullshit that's not doing anything. And instead, you know, like you don't realize how much time that's taking up. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I think that he also like kind of lines out an interesting version of like time management where he's saying, you know, he kind of like restructures the way that he, that you should be looking at tasks and being productive. Um, Which I think like to a lot of people in our scenario, it almost like is common sense now, but we forget that it's common sense because again, like he almost like put it into like words, you know? Oh, totally. Like, oh yeah. It's, it's weird because like the, I remember when I first listened to this book, I was working at a retail job. I was newly married, like this whole idea of working and traveling and like actually traveling, not like going on vacation, just like traveling, like what we're doing right now, you and I both is when he, when he says that, uh, when he, or when he goes into the whole, like you have to batch your time in order to be effective. And I was like, what the heck time batching? That doesn't make any sense. Like, how would I do that with my lifestyle? And then you're like, Oh, that totally makes sense. Like that actually makes complete sense. And 
it's something that I do on accident. Now, like you said, it's common sense. So it's almost like auto it's, it's an automation in my own brain now. Like for example, like today, like I haven't recorded podcasts in a couple of weeks, but I've booked a bunch of podcast interviews today just because I want to mm-hmm. get it done all done today. Um, it's another example of batching. It's great. So yeah. Can you kind of, for people who might not have heard that term before, um, mm-hmm. how would you describe batching? Like, can you give us kind of like a, an example? I mean, I know that you just did, but kind of, can you explain it a yeah, bit more for people who haven't heard more. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, uh, the way to, before you even like take in the concept of just batching, you got to look at like what you're doing day to day and those things that you do on repeat. So it's basically like what, like what you do daily that they're just minutia and like the daily tasks that just eat your, eat your time up. So what that could be in a personal situation is going to be like, um, yeah, you go to the grocery store like three times a week, right? So say you're going to the grocery store three times a week and you typically buy the exact same food over and over and over again because you make the same 10 to 15 different meals that you rotate through throughout a month, right? So instead of just like trying to scramble to make a grocery list every time, like an hour before you're going to the grocery store, it's like throw together an Excel spreadsheet with it's like a personal inventory of your of your kitchen as you eat things and as you like get rid of things, like just mark them off um, as you're, as you're going through. Right. Um, and then when you're going to the grocery store, like you already have your grocery list already done and it's all one trip. You don't have to go like three different times because you keep forgetting stuff throughout the week. You batch all of your food, food prep, grocery, uh, grocery shopping, all of that to like one individual day rather than running to the grocery store every three days, getting the same ingredients or getting stuff that you always get. And then cooking every single night. It's like, no cook six meals on one night. And then you have dinners for all, all the, or for the rest of the week or four or five days down there. Um, that, that's one example. It's like just basically find the things that you do over and over again and then see if you can batch them into a larger chunk of time in one given scenario in the week. Yeah, I actually – I think that's a really important concept in the book. But I actually think this is one of the things in the book that might not have aged very well because yes. <laughs> I think that there are some people – who took this concept and went way too far with it. Um, and I and I don't think that the, I think it's a really important thing to do in terms of things that you'd rather not do, right? Like if there's mm-hmm. things like, okay, shopping, like you hate shopping, but you have to do it sometimes, you know, to eat, to get groceries, whatever. So batch it all together in one day of the week, go get it done, right? But... Mm-hmm you need to leave room in your day to have a little bit of what you enjoy every day, right? So if, for example, cooking is that thing. For example, my girlfriend, Sarah, like she loves to cook. That's like a thing for her. And so she doesn't want to batch that together in one day. She wants to do it a little bit every day because it's a little bit of joy every day. And I think that there are some people who read this and like, you know, think that it's gospel and they like, oh, I got I to totally. batch, batch everything together, right? So in that way, I think that if, and I think Tim... Ferris would agree with, with I, I think at least he would agree with what I'm saying. Um, but I think that some people kind of have taken it almost too far, you know? Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Absolutely. Like that, that's the thing is just like Sarah, we love cooking. That's why we actually don't do that. That was just an example off the top of my head, but there's are, there are so many areas to batch. Um, but like, like what you said, dude, just don't, don't batch the things that you enjoy. Like the idea of batching is to create more time. So, so you can do the things that you enjoy, like thinking, yeah, just thinking of all of this going through yeah, everything and as it, far as eliminating it all. 
And I think that another important thing that he talks about in terms of batching is that, and I think that he kind of explained this really well when he talked about like printing t-shirts, about how mm-hmm. you'd be surprised to know that like 30 t-shirts cost the same as 100 t-shirts or just a little bit more because of the the setup time that it takes um, mm-hmm. in order to get those printed, right? So what he's kind of saying is like, look, if there's this audacious task, you're going to spend a lot of time prepping for it. But if you... You know, and if you had to do it every day of the week, you'd spend that time prepping for it each time. But if you brought it in together, you'd prep for it once and then knock it out. And so essentially, you know, I think about this, for example, with editing podcasts. Like, and I love recording (laughs) podcasts. Editing podcasts is not my favorite thing, right? So if I were to kind of take his advice, what I would do is I'd batch them all together because I need to get myself in the mindset once. I need to get prepped once. I need to kind of like almost clean everything else out and it would be much quicker and much more efficient to get it done. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the things as well that goes hand in hand with batching that he goes into this is what you're saying, like just do it once and avoid interruptions, like clean everything out, like get, like just clean out your space. So that way that's the day that you have, or that's the time that you have. Um, this actually is probably my favorite part of this section is what he goes into like time wasters and time consumers and really just like eliminating those out of your life. And this is one of the hardest things actually that we've had to do personally, and both my wife and I, is eliminating the people that take energy and time from us in mm-hmm. in a non-productive way, which is really hard to say. And it was probably one of the hardest things we had to do, but we looked at it and it's like, the people that we're surrounding ourselves with do not believe in what we're trying to achieve or they they just don't want to take the time of day to even think about it or even build us up. So it's like we had to remove or at least eliminate a, a lot of time that we were spending with people that we really enjoy being around. So, or we thought we enjoyed being around, I guess I should say. Yeah. That's a, that's a really tough kind of like concept to get used to because the same way in which the first section of this book kind of builds you up and tells you it's possible and et cetera and all this kind of stuff, the people in your life can sometimes almost do the opposite right Mm -hmm. and kind of like break you down and that's like if you're trying to do this big audacious goal the last thing and you have that little voice in the back of your head that's telling you the whole time it's crazy the last thing you want is somebody to verbalize it to you right and it's so it's even if it's like the people that you love or you know it doesn't necessarily mean that you never have you never should talk to them again but it's almost saying like hey for this really important time maybe consider reducing Right. Yeah. The amount of time that oh, you yeah. like, spend with them so that you can push forward, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that I think like what you're talking about, like there's the crazy, there's those really, uh, I don't want to say they're crazy, but they're prolific. Um, cause they're just kind of like in the middle between the normal and then absolutely insane. They're like right in the middle. It's like that prolific stage where it's, it's really hard to grasp and really hard to take action on. But when you do, that's what changes your life. And this is one of those things is, Look at those five people that that you surround yourself with and you're more than likely an average of them. And it's like then go replace the ones that are holding you back with a, with people who are going to be giving you a higher average of what you want to be doing. Um, so, yeah, if you want to travel the world and you want to you want to live remote, like get in contact and get communicating with people who are doing the same thing. And it's kind of weird because you will all of a sudden start to evolve into that into that exact same average of the people that you spend most of your time with. Yeah, I heard, 
I heard this. I can't remember who said this, but they said this, and like I think it just illustrated this point in a really good way. Where um, this person said like, "Show me a millionaire hanging out with a bunch of broke people, and I can guarantee you, I know where there's another broke person soon." You know, and then like vice yep. versa, right? And it's just this thing where it's like. Oh, that's so true because like if there's like one thing that like has been true in my life is like things started changing when I got around other people who were doing yep. the things that I wanted to do. It's just because you start thinking everybody else is telling you it's possible, whatever. It's just so important, you know. Well, and everyone labels it as like, oh, like you're getting these opportunities because it's who you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like everyone says, oh, well, you get a better job because you're you have a good network or no, or something along those lines. It's like. No, you got to flip it. It's like you surround, you become who you surround yourself by. Like, um, that, that's, that's what it is. Like it's, it's like, I want to say like it's given science, but I know there's enough research behind it to specifically stay like, that's what's going to happen. And I know that that's happened in our lives. Like that's why we joined location Indy was mm-hmm. we, I had one friend who was doing what we were doing, but it wasn't like I was spending each and every day with them. So it was like, we got to get around people who are actually doing what we're doing. And, uh, and now I'm podcasting with you, man, meeting all sorts of people all over the place. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I started out Googling for people. I, I, this is so funny. I Googled digital nomads, Cincinnati and tried to find people who are talking about it. And I found one person who is my friend, Ian, who we just spent two months traveling oh, no around way. Europe with. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we met on like a coffee date. So it's just one of those things where like, when you start doing things that are like, like different, you like, and now there's ways like there are, and I think that this is, we're kind of like moving into something that like, I, I we'll talk about this later, but I think that yeah. when this book was written versus now, there's so many more resources the same way that when I was Googling for that in 2017, now there's things like Location India, like all these other groups, you know, that are for They're people. everywhere, who, man. Exactly. And it's, it's never been easier to, to get around the people who are doing what you want to do. And there's zero excuses for you not to get around those people. Um, I, was, I mean, dude, like Facebook groups, I actually looked this up. The oh, other day. Yeah. You can just, you can search Facebook groups and there are hundreds of Facebook groups that you can get into. That'll help you out too. Oh, for sure. Um, okay. In wrapping up this section, would you say <laughs> that it's aged well, or would you say that it hasn't aged well? Um, Oh man, I can't answer that straight up right now. That's actually, I tell think- me why. So here's the thing is I think this section has evolved society. I don't think that it's like the hard concrete truth that's written is exactly how it's identified back when it was written. But I think because of how it was written, we now have the resources we do. Does that make sense? So it's like it's almost instead of like introducing a new element to how this was and like basically the idea of elimination and avoiding interruptions and, and surrounding yourself with people like that was all kind of like a newer idea in this, in the digital nomad space, at least back then, where now, like you're saying, like there's so many resources out there. It's like pretty hard not to find, or at least get an ad for somebody that's trying to run some sort of retreat or some sort of uh, course, at least on Facebook. That's, that's inviting you to do something like where it's like quit your day job and travel the world type of thing. But I could be wrong because that's that's the world we're surrounded with, and that's the reason why I get all those ads. So, <laughs> yeah, it's always like I don't know. Like I think it's always difficult to like to say that because for me, I agree with you, but I just don't know if that's true outside of like you know our space, our circle. Yeah, that's totally yeah. true. Yeah, I, I get the, what you're saying. The same way that I feel like now, if I raise the term the eighty twenty principle, 
and I raise mm-hmm. it to just about anyone. Just everybody knows what that means, and it's but it's something that I learned first in this book. But mm-hmm. does that mean that everybody that I hang out with just has read this book and knows the principle, or does it mean that it's really spread so much through culture and society because of this book that everybody knows it? So I don't know. Maybe if anybody's listening to this, can comment on this. You know, like let us know what you think yeah. about it. Um, you know, shoot us an email. But yeah, it's just one of those. It's it's always difficult to say. Like where it stemmed from, like originally, mm-hmm. like, yeah, no, yeah. I, get what you, I'm, I get what you mean. Yeah. So I think for me personally, I think that this has aged really well because I do think that it's, 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 it's important to understand how to do this, but I will say that like, it can go too far. Like, and yeah. I think with a lot of things in life, the, the, the right answer is somewhere in the middle, like not too much, not too little. You know, it's that that Goldilocks zone, right? And what can happen a lot of times is like, and it, it happened to me at least, is I read this book and I was 110% into this direction. And then like as I got older and as I experienced more things and I did more in this world, it almost started shifting back a little bit. And you start to question some of those things and you and you kind of find your, your happy zone, you know? And so that's the only caveat that I'll put on this not aging well. Mm-hmm. The the other thing that hasn't aged well is everything is based off of email here, where communication systems are completely different than just email. Like I'd never use email for other than like doing massive file shares. I rarely use email. Well, I um, think that that's something stepping outside of this step outside of this, uh, you know, part of the book. Yeah. This is definitely something that overall, and I think we can we can jump into it a little bit later, but I think this is a part of it. Actually, no, this is a good transition to the next section, but mm-hmm. I think that everything in terms of resources in this book is trash. Like, just yeah, dude, any resource updated. that he mentions, anything that he mentions, like, just don't listen to it because almost everything is, like, very outdated. It's not the, mm-hmm. like, a lot of times, like, Oh, yeah, perfect example. He was talking about scheduling calls and removing this constant back and forth of like, oh, like, when is it good for you? When is it not good for you? Yeah. And at no point does he mention Calendly, which is yeah, like... Yeah, because it didn't exist back then, yeah. Exactly. And so that's why I would say is like, okay, maybe not trash, but like, do your it's own research. Like, yeah, do your own research because there are more improved tools. Like almost every tool he mentions or every resource he mentioned there is a more efficient and better effective tool that's out there now. Yeah. Uh. Um, and the reason why I think this is a good transition to the next step is because we're now entering into my favorite step, which is automation. Uh, yes. Do you want to give people a little bit of like an understanding what this section is about? Yeah, so automation is, so you take and define those those after you figure out what you can batch and basically the things in your lives that have like very sequential steps that you can easily batch or you can create some sort of systems around, you create that system and then you basically outsource that system to somebody else, like a virtual assistant or a software or something that basically makes those tasks in your life as low maintenance as possible. Uh, going further with my grocery shopping example, it's like downloading Instacart if you live in a bigger city. And instead of you going to the grocery store, you get on your nap, you go grocery shopping for 15 minutes on your phone, you place the order and people deliver your groceries. Like that's a perfect example of outsourcing. Um, but in this, it's very outdated. <laughs> I'll answer that one right away. Like this one's more outdated than I think all the other ones. Um, but yeah, yeah that's, that's I, my two cents on. 
I will agree. So I think that this is actually the section of the book that has aged the worst, yet it is by far yeah. and away my favorite section of the book because it in, it introduces two concepts which to me were completely foreign at the time, but now they're like I like they're the reason why I started this podcast, right? Which are yeah. geo arbitrage and uh-huh. the concept of the muse, right? So yep. Gerard arbitrage is sort of like in like VAs, like kind of outsourcing things. It's kind of like exactly what you mentioned. And the really funny part and the part that I got so jazzed about is because I was reading this part of the book the other day. And like I said, I haven't read this book since I was a lifeguard. You know, like I was literally yeah. reading this book as a lifeguard. <laughs> and the other day, I'm rereading this section of the book. And I'm on a plane 30,000 feet in the air flying from Madrid to Budapest after two and a half months of travel. And we're about to get to Budapest where I'm about to spend another month living and working from. And it's just this crazy, like, I don't know, man. Like, it was just like crazy, like, crazy Dude, shift. Know. Do you know what I mean? And, but I know exactly here's the, what you're trying to say. Here's the thing that really caught me. And this is why I think that what you said about reading this book every year or at some point, like, you know, is really smart is because I'm reading this. And at the time when I read it the first time, it's almost like I wasn't ready to read the geo-arbitrage part, right? Yeah, now, dude, totally. <laughs> because I'm in this plane and he's talking about how he's like, you know, he's got this brilliant part in the in this section where he allows one of, or two of his VAs to actually write the that part of the chapter. And I immediately started thinking about all of these things that Sarah and I could totally uh-huh. outsource. Like, yeah, for example, dude, this is the exact epiphany that I had too. <laughs> yeah, like we had every time that we're picking the next place to go along with Airbnbs and all this stuff, there's always some stress. Uh, like even though it's this like really exciting thing that we're going to go do, there's always this stress because we have set criteria for what we're looking for and I even while I was in that plane I drafted out an SOP because that's what I do and that's what I'm a nerd about I drafted out an SOP of like how we can have a VA essentially like go through different locations in the world based on our criteria find several different like Airbnb options based on our criteria and then for every city that we go to I always have like a little almost like in my brain an SOP of like find the nearest coffee shops, find the nearest restaurants, find the nearest uh, hospital for emergency and all of these things. And a VA can do all of that for you incredibly cheap, you know, because you outsource India or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. No, this is, I'm laughing. Like I'm trying to hold back. I almost muted myself because I'm just sitting here laughing because I had the exact same epiphanies because so since I started, like I haven't read this book for just under a year. And this is why I need to revisit it every year is because I've basically made a massive shift in what I'm doing for my career and really isolated what I'm doing to specialize in. And now that I was reading this part, I had all of these thought processes of like, what part of my personal life can I automate? What part of my professional life? Because there's things that I do like reporting and whatnot. And I'm like, man, like that would be so worth just like getting a VA that has really good Excel understanding and knowledge, which the majority of them do. And just going in and saying like, Hey, like I make, this is what I make for this rate. And this would cost me, this would take me two to three hours to do, but I'm just going to outsource it and pay 20 bucks to get it done. And then I get to focus on the more critical task at work. But what that does is essentially it gives me more time on my plate to clear out the main important things that move my my clients forward, which in turn makes me more money by by me moving them forward. So 
this was a huge aha moment that like, even though it is outdated and didn't age well, like you said, it's just so valuable in every, in every aspect. Like there's always something that can be automated and there's always something that can be outsourced. And it's just, I have, it's the thing that's hardest for me to take action on as far as like, I usually get to the SOP stage and then I don't actually like go and hire a VA or actually don't go and vet something out to get it done. And I don't know why, but that's one of the things I've written down from this last read through that I'm going to take advantage of. Yeah, I think, and and I think while the concept has aged really, really well, and I, like I said, like I, I literally can't describe to you how pumped I was on this plane. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, like, you know, like I'm reading and even though I know this, like it's all kind of like rushing back to me and I'm like, oh man, like this is so, you know, and I think it's aged really, really well, but again, the resources are not good. Like Horrible. he's also yeah. saying out prices that are just not there anymore. And while there's a ton more ways for you to get a freelancer, so for example, or like a like a VA of which is, stands for virtual assistant, like he doesn't even mention Upwork because mm-hmm. it didn't exist yeah. at that time, right? He and mentions so, uh, he mentions Elance. mentions Elance, which Upwork ended up uh, like yeah. uh, buying Absorbing. out. Or- yeah. Yeah. So, and, but I think that there's an important note in there is that, and this is something that I actually, I didn't notice the first time reading it, but he actually doesn't, I think that he might not talk about hiring a VA for these purposes off of something like Upwork and only mm-hmm. talks about hiring them through these sort of, um, almost like companies that have VAs because they have processes, right? And so yeah. you, you it, it might remove some issues of you making sure that that VA is up to standard, if that makes sense, um, yeah, which I thought was an interesting sense. thing that it didn't catch in the beginning. Um, and so to wrap up the geo-arbitrage part about this, because then we're going to jump into the, the muse part of this book, there is a quote that I have to read because it is such an important quote that I think um, kind of like, I think it's become very famous from this book, but he says, fun things happen when you earn dollars, live on pesos and compensate in rupees, but that's just the beginning. And that's one of those things where (laughs) like, yeah, like, listen, I earn dollars and I spend a lot of my summer in Bulgaria where I'm living off of Lev. And it's, I mean, yeah, it's, the life action man <laughs> and exactly and it's and it's that thing that he talks about that i mentioned in that quote in the very beginning of you know when we started this podcast is that he doesn't need to be a multimillionaire to experience what a multimillionaire's life feels like because a lot of the like people want to be millionaires not because they want to have a million dollars they want to have what a million dollars buys them but through your arbitrage it's not a million right yeah, I know. Like, I'm I'm literally, like, looking just down the street from where we're at on our Airbnb, and we're at this apartment next, right next to the cliffs in the southern Portugal. And I'm like, yeah, this would have never happened, man, if it wasn't for this book. <laughs> yeah, man, I saw the pics. It looks pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just those things. Like, even us staying in a four- or a three-bedroom apartment in um, – in, in in the Yucatan, Mexico, like like we we're saying, I was earning U.S. dollars during those six weeks living on pesos, just like you're doing in Bulgaria. And it's, I mean, we were we were I was eating out like four times a day because it was like sixteen cent tacos instead of like a nine dollar meal, which would it would talk that's what it would cost me at like Chipotle or something at home, and the food's better on top of it, and it's even cheaper. So it's just like there are so many like what you said. That's true. We could just sit and riff on this whole geo arbitrage as an entire episode, but. 
that is see, that's the gate that's opened with this mm-hmm. is the geo arbitrage and i love the word of geo arbitrage because i i personally know people who went to software engineering school and racked up like 80 to 90,000 dollars in student loans moved to guatemala after they got a remote working software engineering job making like san francisco money and then living in guatemala on just absolute living like a king for for two years and in in two years they paid off eighty thousand dollars of debt while getting a massage every week and while mm-hmm. getting like all of these things that you wish you could get but you're like oh i'm a i'm poor and i'm broken i'm young in my career i can't have those things i have to wait till i'm a senior engineer or something like that but he's had it since day one <laughs> right yeah it's and i think yeah geo arbitrage and also like medical tourism like those are the things that like I wouldn't even That's call it medical. Thing. Yeah, I wouldn't even say medical tourism, but like, you know, we had this like thing happen where we recently did this trip, just to give you an example to people listening, where, you know, like I've mentioned it before, you know, we led this life nomading trip in Bulgaria. And what happened was my friend uh, had a, an accident and she had to go get stitches at the hospital. She hit her head. And we were in there and we were walking out and we got the bill and the whole time before we went into the, you know, for her to get like sewn up, we were talking about, oh man, like should we pass this through our travel insurance? Like how should we handle it? And we're walking out and I hand them the bill and it's 160 leva. So that's like $90 (laughs) for her to get an x-ray, for her to get stitches and like a doctor, whatever. And they're kind of like, why were we even discussing if it should go through like, like, no, like it would be more difficult for me to like spend the time to figure out how to submit it than to just pay the like eighty ninety dollars. So that's where, without going into too much detail in medical on like medical tourism, because that's a whole different podcast. Like you said, yeah, that's, that's medical like my tourism. next thing that I'm really trying to figure out is that like that was one of the things again rereading this. I was like, oh man, like I've been trying and dying to get this LASIK surgery. That's like eight to five grand in the, or five to eight grand in the U S I want to see if it's like cheaper somewhere else. And it's, that may freak some people out when I just said that, but it's mm-hmm. like, that that's what it is. Like, that's totally what it is. It's pretty crazy. So, yeah. So moving on to the other section of this section and that I think is really important yeah. is the <laughs> concept that he, no, 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 you're fine. Laying out the concept of the muse, which is one of the biggest things that this book is famous for. Um, can you describe to people what a muse in the way that like Tim Ferriss describes it as like, what is it? Yeah. So the muse is, um, it's basically a business or some sort of income stream that fulfills the need, the immediate needs of your desired lifestyle. So if you want to teach yourself and learn how to surf while learning Spanish and you move to Costa Rica to do this, You've already defined in the definition section, you've defined the exact cost of what that dream lifestyle, that dream line is what he uses. And that dream lifestyle is going to cost you, say, just hypothetically speaking for easy math, right? It's That's going to cost you $1,200 to live the day-to-day lifestyle that you want where you're surfing for six to seven hours a day. You're eating tacos or eating whatever, whatever you want to eat there. And you get your massages every week. You have somebody do your laundry. Like you define the lifestyle that you want. Your muse is going to make you the exact money that you need to get that. Um, it basically removes the stress of like having to work for your lifestyle, your lifestyle, like for lifestyle's sake, I guess. 
Yeah, so where the kind of like the word comes from is in, in like Greek, right? It's like the writers. I don't even think it's Greek. It's just mm-hmm. like writers, artists have muses. There are these things that inspire them and allow them to create. And so uh, Tim Ferriss, yes, like you said, like kind of introduces this concept of like this business as the muse. It's this business that allows you to create the life that you want to create, right? It allows you to like m- like bring it into existence the way that an artist would bring it, like create a painting, Um, Mm -hmm. and the interesting thing about this is that I think that this concept has aged really, really, really well, but also fucking terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is it's aged really well because it is still so extremely like everywhere in at least like our like, like part of this world. Right. It's like, except that we call it passive income. And it's the business that brings in this passive income, this magical thing that like, you know, you never have to work again and then you can spend like your days on a beach. And that's why I think it's aged badly is because there's all these people, these like, like snake oil, you know, salesmen who have completely yep. bastardized what it is because I was, I just did an interview recently with uh, Liam Martin from uh, Time Doctor, and he said this thing that he said to me, point to me a person who's talking about passive income and like talking about like running a passive income business, and I'll point to you somebody who's going to have a job in a couple months. Because the moment that you start thinking about it in those ways, it's almost like you've messed something up, right? Like, can you reduce your time to a point where like you're only working a couple hours a day, knocking out the most important things, and then you have the rest of the time free to do whatever you want? Yeah, 110%. But this idea of creating an income that you never have to work from is complete bullshit. Um, and this is why I think that this hasn't aged well. Yeah, and I think um, the the phrase that Tim uses that makes it really, really easy to understand is is when he's going through the question of, or he's going through like the examples of the new rich and the uh, deferred, I think is what he calls them, like the deferred mm-hmm. rich or something like that. And it's basically comparing the people who, it's the it's the people who use the four hour work week and the people who don't basically is what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's people who look at it and they're usually, their idea of what this passive income idea is, is like, Oh, like I'm going to build a business that makes money on the internet while I sleep. And that's kind of the idea is like, it's going to make sales automatically. And what Tim says is like, no, you don't build the business. You own the business that's being built by other people using Mm -hmm. the automation and that sort of thing. And so I think that so many people mix those up. Like they just mix them up because for example, like, um, a fr- like the franchises, the, fr- the way franchises work in America, I think is the perfect example of what people think is a passive income model when it's not to mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, I'm going to go buy a franchise or I'm going to go buy the business model. So I'm going to go buy a McDonald's and I'm going to pay the fee and it's going to come with the team and the employees and everything and they're going to run it. But like as the franchisee, like you still have to check up, you still have to look at your reports, you still have to work. Now it may not be the four hour four hour work week and it may look like more like an eight hour work week. But the, the thing is like what you said is the idea behind a muse is that it, it doesn't require the majority of your time to focus on it. You do need to, you do need to put time into it. You're going to have to, there's no such thing as like a hundred percent passive business or passive uh, business unless you're just doing investments <laughs> and you're, you're only doing investments and not paying attention to them. 
Yeah, and I think like the important thing here also is like the book is called The 4-Hour Work Week. I can guarantee you Tim Ferriss right now is not working four hours a week. But the the thing to realize is that he is spending his time working on things that maybe don't feel like work, right? Like he's yep. doing these. And so it's like, yes, you create something that allows you, you like the concept of the muse is a business that allows you to only work on the things that you want to work on. Right. And so this like you don't need to even though people are like talking about passive income and all this kind of stuff like they're just doing the things that they want to be doing anyways. You know, like that's what's like really important. It helps you create this lifestyle that you want. And then like it doesn't I don't know, like I'm kind of starting to jump like all over the place here. But it's just I'm trying to say that that like going down this rabbit hole. Yeah, it's just like it's, it's really important, I think, because this is why I feel like this has aged really, really well in terms that it's become an, an incredibly huge topic in, in business, right? Yeah, it's highly desirable, and therefore people sell that desire mm-hmm. more than the actual reality of what it is. Yeah, exactly. And that so, makes sense. Yeah, and so it, that's what I'm saying is like it's aged really well, but it's also been bastardized. Like it's also been yeah. kind of like fucked up, you know? Oh, totally, man. Um, and so, yeah, that's what it's. I think it's really important is like if you're going through this book and you're rereading it, just remember like the muse, like that passive income, like it's a real thing, but don't it you mistake know, it yeah. exactly. Like, like don't let it like get bastardized. Um, but yeah, I also think the other part of this section that hasn't aged so well um, is actually some of the actual like business advice that he's putting up. Yeah. That's what I'm reading through right now. I'm like, this doesn't sound right. Like, that's a really old, man, because it talks about Facebook ads and Google ads and whatnot. Well, I was just going to say that I think the idea is correct. But again, just like the resources, things have changed. Mm-hmm. The cost of the resources, too, because he's talking about getting these VAs that are like four dollars and 15 cents is one of the notes I'm looking at here. And it's like you cannot find a ver- like. If you can, please comment and please hit me up on Facebook, please, because I am dying to find a virtual assistant that will work for that wage. Um, Back in 2007, I can totally see that being the case, though. I can totally Mm -hmm. see that being the case. But now, like, you even think about what's happened to Chiang Mai, Thailand, like, since 2007. Like, no longer is it – like, I've never been. You've been, so you should probably Mm -hmm. speak to this more than I can. But the more – the people that we talk to – that have been there and like we've always wanted to visit there but it's slowly climbing further down on our desirable list of where we want to go because we just hear it's like it's literally digital nomads living in an indonesian place um and it's like yeah well yeah jump on that dude because you've been there you spent a good chunk of time there well i think so there's two points about this right it's the first thing what you said is that you can't find these vas for four dollars and 15 cents anymore yeah you you actually can However, the ones that are good aren't charging $4.15 anymore. And okay, that's this, true. That's a good point. And so this is actually the thing that is really good about what's happening in terms of a global sense is that people always talk about how like, oh, you're hiring these people and you're paying them so much less and like you're taking your, you know, like taking, taking advantage, advantage of them or whatever. Them. No, but the good ones, yes, it's still cheap for you. Like, yes, you know, maybe you're paying them $15 an hour now for like really, really good uh-huh. work. But those people are charging $15 while every other job in their like country isn't paying them that at all right Mm -mm. and so it's It's almost like yeah 
And exactly. And so while at the beginning it was super unequal and a lot of people were profiting from that, now it's gotten a little bit more equal, right? And the people who are yeah. good, their work is even, you know, it's valued. It's, it's it, The value has increased of it. Um, and so that's the first point. And the second point where you're saying is about the same thing is happening with certain locations. So you mentioned Chiang Mai, Thailand. The other one also is Bali, right? So like these are these yeah. two areas in the world which became very, very famous for being really cheap and also being a really good place for you to go to when you're like building your business. But the people who live there have learned, right? And so things are getting more expensive in Chiang Mai. Chenggu, for example, dude, it's U.S. costs. Like, you go to any yeah. place in Chenggu that's like a cool coffee shop or whatever, like, it's $10 a plate, you know? So, the <laughs> things are like... The, oh, man. And not every place. There's going to be tons of people here living in Chenggu who are going to jump on and tell me that I'm wrong. And yes, sure, I'm wrong. But, but, like, but the thing is, is like, what we're trying to point out is the what is cited in this book as... <laughs> You can go have, because I know, yeah, I know firsthand of people who have gone to Chiang Mai and Bali and stuff who are like getting like a $3 breakfast and it's a full-fledged platter and you'd have to pay 20 bucks or 25 bucks in America to get something like that. But what we're talking about is because of the movement that I'd say this book and some other very influential books started, these prices are going to become more level both on the work side and the living side because it's like everyone's picking up on it. Everyone's like, Oh, like if there's a dude coming in from America, who's making American dollars, I can probably charge a little bit more. Not just that, like the expectation is going to be charging more, even though you can still take advantage of it. Yeah. And obviously there's a difference. And and this is kind of like verging more on like your arbitrage conversation again, but there's also the difference between, and anybody who's listening to this, who's been to those places is going to say, yeah, but the local places aren't, you know, that expensive. And that's true. Like if you go to like Indonesia and you eat at Indonesian places that aren't tailoring towards like Westerners or like Western food, yeah, much cheaper. Same thing for Thailand. But the the whole idea is that like in general, like it's almost, it's evening out. It's starting to even out, right? So like what you're talking yeah. about is like, you're not going to find a lot of these prices that he mentions. And the same thing in terms of the muse is like, for example, he talks about how little you have to spend on Google AdWords to test your idea. And you <laughs> yeah, read that part now and you're like, that's <laughs> yes. The idea yeah. is there. That's the right concept in terms of testing it. But like there it's, it's a way more nuanced and like much more involved conversation now. Well, yeah. For example, like he talks about how he would hide and there's ways to do this, but he basically like test a concept by running a Google ad that would go to a sales page that's selling a t-shirt that you're testing out. Right. And then when you go to actually make the, the checkout, the pet, the, the checkout button's broken. It goes to a website that says PayPal is disconnected or something like that, just to test like the hypothetical sales that would come through. So you can see if it's an actual viable product before you go dump a bunch of money into it. The thing is, is now that doesn't fly. Like if you have a broken link on your website, your rankings in Google, your ads and your Facebook ads will be disapproved. Your Google rankings will completely plummet and it will like, they've, they've set a lot of fences around that, that don't allow you to do a lot of that stuff. There are ways to, it's just a lot harder. And that's the thing that the, that's the whole encompassing message of this book. It's like, don't take no for an answer. Find a way. There's always a way to do it better than what it's being done right now. Yeah, I agree. And I think like it's also I think what it's important is that it's it's also like the thing like he talks about like setting these Google ads or Facebook ads like you're saying to like test if this is going to work. And then there's also the added thing of like, well, 
do you know how to run Facebook ads correctly, right? Like if you remove that variable, that makes sense. But if there's a variable of like, oh, actually you've never run a Facebook ad in your life and you suck, like then you're not going to get a good test, right? It's just like you in yeah. science class in high school, like you need to remove all the variables in order to test one or you need to keep all the variables the same to test one. And so I think that what this this part of the book is trying to say is it's almost like, He's pointing you in the right direction if you're driving. He's mm-hmm. not teaching you how to drive the car. Exactly. You should kind of exactly. take this as like a base and then actually go learn how to to continue with that metaphor, how to drive the car. Like if, if that sounds good, go learn how to do ad, like Facebook ads and then test it in some way. But like you said, yeah, it's almost like teaching yeah. you like don't say no for an answer, like find how to do it. When you just said that, it actually just triggered a – I'm trying to remember where I heard this from or in a training. I know I bought a course and I was talking about it in the course. But it's basically focused on the who, not the what. Mm. Um, and it's like it's don't get caught up in learning the skill. Go find somebody who already has it. And like what you're saying, drive the car. Like you don't have to drive the car. He sh- or Sorry, you don't have to be the mechanic working on the car. You just have to know how to drive it basically. Mm. And so – in in many ways, I hope I did that. I hope I referenced your example there correctly. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I just did. But anyways, <laughs> it's it's don't get focused on like, oh, well, now I've got to go learn how to do Google AdWords or now I've got to go learn how to do Facebook ads in order to do this and vi- validate my business. And you spend six months working on Facebook ad master, mastering Facebook ads or some sort of ad network before you even get to test what you're actually wanting to work on. And I, I'm guilty of that. I've totally fallen into that into that trap of like getting lost and figuring out like how to edit your podcast. And then you like get lost into the audio mechanics and like what makes your audio the best. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, I just need a microphone and record. Cause all I want to do is have a podcast. Like it, it's really understanding like the direction that this is going in versus anything else of like, you need to validate and have all these skills and be a unicorn on how to run a business and bootstrap it yourself. It's, test the concept, get your concepts really clearly, um, and then go find somebody who can run some ads for you, get the concept done for you for a cheap price, and then the the testing will prove, it's the proof is in the pudding on that side. But yeah, so essentially, like, essentially what we're trying to say is that this this section is both my favorite and it's and also like, <laughs> yeah, and it's also like what's aged, like, it's aged well, but it's also aged very badly in, in some ways. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Yeah, I think um, we could probably move on because I feel like we might be going down even more rabbit holes now that I'm reading <laughs> some of the other other notes on some of this. Because this this is the thing that was like what you said when we first started on this is this is what got you pumped up. This was what mm-hmm. this is what you're like. Oh, it all was coming back to me because I feel like this is where the most for me when I first read the read it. This is where the most aha moments or like the the big epiphanies came for me where it's like this is how it's all doable. This is how the four hour work week is the four hour work week. And this is how I can go travel to Portugal. And this is how I can go do all these things is by designing and building my muse and and having another source of income and all these other things that you can do. So, yeah, essentially in closing of this, of this section, which is again, this is the section is called automation. The idea is don't follow the actual step-by-step business rules. Understand what he's trying to explain and then almost like, like then use it, right? Like don't actually follow the step-by-step. Just kind of like use what he's like telling you in terms of like mindset and processes and this sort of thing. 
Um, yeah. But then, Tim, if you're reading this, we want you to redo this section of the book with all the resources that are going on right now in the world. So it's interesting that you said that because I've heard him <laughs> comment on this. And, and this is, again, you're just setting up these transitions of these steps so well for me. Uh, but <laughs> he's actually said that he will never rewrite this book. Or I shouldn't say never. He said that he it's unlikely that he'll rewrite this book because he feels like he doesn't want to step on the butterfly. Because he thinks that there's something about his tone at, the, at that time in his life, the way that he's written it. Um, and that... He, like if he rewrites it, it will be ruined. Like the thing that made it so good will It'll be, be ruined with his experience. Right. But yeah. the interesting thing is that he said is that if there is a section that he would rewrite, it's actually the next one, which is the liberation one, because he feels like, um, and I don't know if I'm actually saying or you know I I hate to put words in his mouth, um, but mm-hmm. he's he's he almost feels like the way that like people interpreted this because the next step is really like okay now that you've achieved this thing right you have this quote unquote muse that's providing you this life what do you do with it like how do you fill your time like how do you liberate yourself from all these things and what he was saying in this interview that I listened with him was that he was essentially saying like a lot of people read it and say like oh well I'll deal with this when the time comes right like they they almost like skip over the section yeah. in. And yeah, what he totally. said is like, it's actually really important because now there's all these people who have read the book, who have done all of this. And now they're like, oh, well, shit, like now what? And he's saying like, well, there's a part in the book that you just never read or you never took seriously because at that time it felt like such, you know, a, a crazy dream. Right. And that's that next section, which is the liberation. Yes. Yeah. It's the. Yeah, dude, this is going to be. Yeah, we're going to have to control ourselves and not go down too many. uh too many holes on this one because there's so many good nuggets on this because this is where the like what you said this is where the dream becomes reality man Mm -hmm. it's when you liberate yourself and i mean my wife and i have caught ourselves in conversations even with this last trip that we've been on i mean we've been traveling for the over the majority of this year and it's like is this kind of losing the flavor that it once had like do we Mm. need to kind of rethink and our priorities have completely shifted while we've been on this trip to where we're not going to be doing trips like this anymore where Mm -hmm. it's like nonstop, no end in mind um type of trips and that is part of this liberation and we'll i'll bring that full circle that little snippet full circle here in a minute once we get into the details here yeah so can you like like give us a quick summary of this part of the book so liberation is basically taking the three steps and what what Tim also talks about is the the automation and the liberation part are interchangeable so it could be d e a l or d e l a um but the liberation part is basically getting to the point where you can either escape your escape your office right so escape the office where you're working remotely giving you the ability to like bring money in while you're fulfilling your dream lines or while you're fulfilling, um, the, the idea of what lifestyle, what the lifestyle that you want. Um, there, there's that part of it where it's escaping the office, how to go remote basically, or even how to quit your job and use your muse as your full-time income. So it talks about those transition points, but then it also talks about my favorite point, um, which is the mini retirements. So it's Mm -hmm. like, for every for every two months, I don't I don't think he follows us right now. But for every two months of hard work, Tim says that he takes a month of intensive learning, or basically what intensive learning to him is is going to a place to learn something. So if you're going to teach yourself Japanese, moving to Japan for a month and doing intensive Japanese learning work in Japan, and becoming fully some like 
and what your your dream is to do. So, um, so the mini retirements, like not doing the whole work nonstop or the deferred retirements, like basically taking many mini retirements, uh, what you would be doing in your ideal American dream retirement and doing that now or doing that spread out over the next couple of years. Um, and then it goes into like, uh, the pitfalls of like getting light, like what you talked about, like just don't lose sight of your dreams in many ways. Like don't, don't get so caught up in building the muse that that becomes your dream is running, running your business. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think that this is, I think this section like has a lot of things in it. Um, and to start off in terms of like talking about what has aged well and what hasn't aged well, I think one of the things, and I think it's mostly in this section, but he kind of talks about it throughout the book that hasn't aged well, is this Mm -hmm. whole idea of how to convince your boss to allow (laughs) you to transition into a remote work. And that has just completely, like that's just forget that entire section because first of all remote work is already so so popular where like this when this book was written in 2007 it was a crazy idea now remote work is everywhere and if your boss is really so uninterested in letting you work remotely save up a little bit of cash enough for like six months of living quit your job and in a couple of months you can have a re- a new remote job. So that whole idea yes. of like, you know, because he goes into these elaborate plans of like, oh, go, you know, go on like, um, what is it like, take a sabbatical and then like, or go on like a vacation <laughs> yeah. and like work just to show them that you can do it. And all these like little like dance, like that's all that doesn't exist anymore. Like just do no. it. Yeah. And very rare, ca- in, sorry, in very rare cases, I feel like you'll find yourself in situations that he describes in the book. Um, in my personal experience too, like for anyone that's going to take this advice, be sure to understand the debt, like be sure not that you understand, because obviously you understand what the remote work is, but be sure, be sure that your employer in whatever job that you're seeking out for remote work understands what you mean by remote work, Mm. because there are so many different levels of remote work. I got a job and when I interviewed, I said, Hey, is there an, is there, will there be an option to work remotely in the future? Because that's the only reason why I really wanted to work in the industry that I'm working in. And they said, Oh yeah, absolutely. But their definition of remote work was working from home. Mm-hmm. Like not, not on the road, not weird, flexible hours. It was no, like you'll work from home. And then if you need to come in, like you need to come in, like, and you're just down the street. So, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And it's, I think that that's the difference between working remotely and location independence. Right. And and the good thing is, the good thing is that now a lot of these job boards, like for example, uh, dynamite jobs, which is one of my favorites is they will say, this is completely like location independent, or you need to be in like the American time zones or something like that. So like, it, it, it almost helps answer that. So that's definitely such a good thing to look out for. Cause the last thing that you want to do is like get this new job that allows you to be remote only to find out that it restricts you to be in certain time zones or whatever, or like in your yeah. case, like just down the street. Yeah. And it's in, in our own experience it actually kind of sucks because before we went on this trip, we thought we had a remote working agreement, which my wife had actually followed some of the steps that, mm-hmm. that that's the thing is not all the steps are completely obsolete because my wife did follow some of the steps in this book to go from working in an office to working a couple days a week at home to saying, Hey, we have a once in a lifetime opportunity to really take advantage of what we, what our situation looks like before we start having kids and whatnot. 
and traveling the world and we were able to go and get she was able to get a full-fledged working uh, remote working agreement while we were on our travels but then some things happened to the point where when we went to go do it a second time when she was still in that same job they said oh now you can't move outside of the u.s mm. and part of that was because of the infrastructure and the, the massive business growth that that company had that she was working for um, they ended up getting bought out and the company that bought them didn't allow remote work just not from other countries. Does that make sense? So it's like, yeah, there are so many nuances in what remote works, remote work is nowadays that you be, need to be really definitive on what you're looking for. Yeah. And this goes back to like, don't be afraid to say what you want because there's plenty of options now. Exactly. There's so many options. Another good resource is uh, weworkremotely.com. Mm -hmm. They have really good jobs that are like very definitive on like, you need to be EU based or you need to be American based, uh, US based, that sort of thing. So yeah, to to give uh, the blog associated with this podcast a little bit of a you know a, a, a push, uh, I have a whole post all about like the best places to find jobs, and that's on there as well. So uh, I'll link that up in the show notes. So if anybody's interested, you guys can go find that there. Um, but to kind of like start wrapping up because uh, this is a very long podcast, but it needs to be because this is such a big topic. I think. The, the two chapters for me that are really important in this section, like you mentioned, are mini retirements. And then the other one is the filling the void one. And they kind of work together. Um, mm -hmm. Because like you said, those mini retirements, like it's really important to like kind of like embrace your mobile lifestyle, but not be afraid to kind of like just chill out if, if needed, you know? Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. That's, that's what we're feeling. And like, we, we thought we wanted to do the whole mini retirement thing. We've been traveling for nine months. We're exhausted, dude. We're, mm -hmm. we're freaking tired. We've been traveling with a one-year-old and our way of, our way of what our mini retirements look like has completely changed now, has completely changed on what that definition looks like. And it's because that filling the void, like we still feel, or we've felt as we've been traveling that there's some sort of void and then what that void is, is like, we want our daughter to have a home base and friends and toys in her own space where she can go and grow and learn, um, even before she's in school. But it's just like, we want that for her. And that's a bigger, like that's created more of a void than our wonderlust has. But what that means is we now just take six weeks to go to, go to Costa Rica and then come back and that'll fill the travel void while giving us the best of both worlds and having a home base to go to. So, sorry, I know I made that one kind of personal rather than focused on the book, but no, no, that's no, just no. to give an example. That's a really good example because I think what it, I think that's actually works really well because filling the void in many retirements can, can mean different things for different people, right? For me, like for example, filling the void, and I, this is, I think actually the, the, the part of the section that Tim Ferriss talked about in that interview where he said that people really need to like reread it and focus in on it more is there's this point where you work so hard towards this goal, this goal that at the beginning of the book seemed audacious. It seemed crazy. So it was this crazy thing with all this adrenaline that you were aiming for. And then all of a sudden you've achieved it. And the achievement of that goal <laughs> creates a void, right? And now yeah. you're almost like sitting there and you're like, okay, well now what? Right. And that's that void. And for different people, that comes in different ways. For you, it comes in exactly what you described. For me, it's almost like, okay, now I can travel, but 
what's next like what is yeah. so you almost kind of like have to find that thing to to fill it with and i think that's why that chapter works so well and it's something where if people are listening to this and they haven't read the book in a while and are feeling this almost like okay like what is the point of this like that's the other question right go and reread that section because it might be really helpful in actually filling that space that you have now found Yes. Oh man. You, yeah. That was that was eloquent, man. That was really good word. That was really good wording. Oh, thank you. I was just uh, reading it. Somebody else wrote it, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's it's it's on. That is probably. I think that's the hardest thing, dude. Like that's the mm-hmm. hardest. Like that's got to be the most uh, the the hardest thing about pursuing a lifestyle like this. That's so out of the norm. And I think this is what happens um, to a lot of people who, I guess, in the past have lived this American dream where it's like you build a business, you you build it up to the point where you either have it on autopilot and someone else is buying you out or you completely sell it off and, is, and you basically get this massive payout to where you can retire off of it. There's this massive void that happens where it's like, oh, man, like you can only sit at the pool for so long or you can only go to Mexico so many times or you can only – do think do these things where it's like now you've got to redefine what your ne- like your dream mm. because dreams are meant to change man like they're they have to evolve or else if you have one dream then you're probably just too lazy to take action on that dream and that's that's the reason why it's not it's still the same dream over and over again yeah i think for a little bit of resource somebody who's done a good job of kind of like talking about this and if you like learn about them you'll see kind of like those those changes is actually sean ogle who i think you're you're familiar with as well you know is he has these like you know he has an entire like bucket list thing and like for a lot of people a bucket list might be this sort of like cheesy thing that you make but for him it's like he takes like those are like when he does mini retirements he goes to check off a bucket list, which is like these little goals that he like, he's achieved this giant thing, which is like location independence and financial independence, which is something that most people spend their entire lives going after, right, in in, in the version of retirement, and he's achieved it, and now he's got this bucket list, and even though he lives in, I think he lives in Oregon, in Portland, he takes Mm -hmm. many retirements, and he checks things off that bucket list. Yeah, totally. Another person that came to mind when you, I was actually thinking you were going to say this because, you, because we both know this guy as well is um, is uh, I keep thinking Heath fist pumps. <laughs> um, <laughs> Heath Armstrong is, is Heath Armstrong. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, is Heath because like that's exactly what he he achieved achieved this financial independence um, through his drop shipping business and now he's doing some insanely cool things and he said that along his journey. Um, Heath, if you're listening, I want you to get on the podcast. I know he was on your podcast, wasn't he, mm-hmm. actually? Yep, yep. Yeah, I think was. it was, it was episode one of the three. First yeah, yep. it was one of the first episodes. Go and listen to his episode. His story is phenomenal, guys. Like, Because mm-hmm. now he's doing things that's, that are li- that is literally transforming other people's lives because of the financial independence that he's he's achieved. And um, another another example that uh, – another example is this is like my wife and I, our main thing is house-sitting, dude. Like we've been house-sitting for five months of our nine months of travel – in the goal to save money um, while seeing the world, but now we're taking a chunk of that money we saved and we're going to, we're not house sitting right now. We're checking off bucket list items and destinations we've always wanted to see, like the South of Portugal, the Amalfi Coast in Italy. We're going to Greece here in a couple of weeks as well um, because those are bucket list destinations. And it's like, we can't just do house sitting just for house sitting's sake. Like house sitting mm-hmm. has a purpose. And so, the the thing is is look at what you're defining and look at your method of achieving your lifestyle as a 
as a means to an end with a purpose. So that way you can ultimately go do things that you really want to liberate yourself into doing. Yeah. And I think it's important to also stress that filling the void doesn't just have to be travel based, right? Like it doesn't have to be just go see this place, but it's like, okay, you want to learn a new hobby, right? Or like you want to learn a new language, which is something that like, um, you know, Tim Ferriss talks a lot about is like something that he likes to do. So then in that case, you know, you're just creating the ability for you to be able to go do what you want. And if at the end of the day, because I know people who've done this as well, is like where they've achieved this thing and they've done the whole, you know, like location independent, they've been financially independent, whatever. And then they realize that actually, you know what, I'd really like to go back to a job because there's something in me that kind of wants to go do that, be a be part of a big team, you have that decision. Like you can go through the entire journey and kind of end up back at like, I guess what you could say, like the starting point, but be completely different person when you come back. And so I think, and this is a good way to like wrap this up is what this allows you to do is to do what you want to do and have the freedom to really pursue your kind of like your real desires and take a journey to finding like what makes you happy and just constantly be following that. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with you a hundred percent on everything you said. And that's, that's the thing is like, if anyone who hasn't, who's listening to this and hasn't read the book, like just pick it up and read it and just to see for yourself, like what it does for you. Cause it, it's more of a, I feel like this is more of a psychological book than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> Even though it's very technically based on like step-by-step methods to take, like what this does to your psychology, at least what it did for me, man, is it, it, it helped me believe it helped me understand like the lifestyle that I'm currently living and the lifestyle that I'm still working towards attaining, like is very possible and that there are multiple ways to get what I want done. If I'm either creating it for myself or somebody's already done it for me. Yeah, man, totally. I couldn't agree more. And uh, like I said before, this is the most quoted book, the most referenced mm-hmm. book on any podcast. So uh, if you want to help support this podcast, head on over to the show notes and there's going to be a link there um, that will lead you to Amazon. I'll get a little bump, uh, a little, you know, thank you, financial thank you from Amazon uh, if you buy it through that link. Um, Mitch, thank you so much for being on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, where can people find you once again uh, if they're interested in a uh, following you and your wife and your uh, kid along on your travels? Uh, We are at Budget Travel Secrets. Just go to Instagram on Budget Travel Secrets and then everything else that we're working on is posted there. So that way I don't fill up your show notes with even more from what we've already talked about. (laughs) Just go to the Instagram, start there. We've got a lot of projects in the works. We've also got Travel Secrets Radio, um, which is a podcast that we are actually currently launching. We're doing this in a little bit different format than we've uh, initially planned. So we've got some stuff working right now to where that will be launching our first season here in a, in a month or so. Um, yeah. So yeah, just go find us on Instagram and then travel secrets radio on podcast stuff. Cool, man. Well, thank you again so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll uh, cross cross paths uh, here sometime soon and, and grab a beer together. All right, buddy. Absolutely, man. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure.